Hello, and welcome to Jag Bags, a discussion of all things pop culture. I'm Mike Byer. And I'm Len Foote. And welcome to the program. You are listening live from the expectant home studios in Woodridge, Illinois, where tonight we have a unprecedented episode of Jag Bags, two guests. It takes two guests to tackle a topic of this magnitude. Because um, we know nothing. <laughs> exactly. When, uh, we needed when two people brought, tonight. When you brought up Star Trek, I was like, man, we need experts. <laughs> they are on uh, the dock for tonight. We have Tim Amos, who is the co-artistic director of the Factory Theater in Chicago and has an impressive display of Star Trek and other sci-fi memorabilia behind him. Uh, and we have John Kuchai, a Chicago singer and songwriter and enormous Star Trek fans joining us. And tonight... We are going to be talking the entire Star Trek franchise from the Gene Roddenberry series in the 60s to the various reboots and the movies that are coming out this year and beyond. That's about 55 years or so of content to talk through tonight. So let's quit screwing around and let's get right to it. Uh, welcome to the podcast, uh, John and Tim. Thanks Thank for you. having us. Great let's to be get, thank you. Let's get right to it. So, Star Trek, how old were you when you first discovered the show? And what was it about it that made you say, This this is the greatest show ever, and I want I can't get enough of it? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah. So I was uh I, I think I was about nine years old, which would be about 1978. And uh, I remember watching uh, uh, an episode uh, on uh, Channel 32, WFLD. uh, uh, It was either Saturday or Sunday, um, because they usually ran them both Saturdays and Sundays. And uh, uh, I remember watching the episode and thinking it was the worst thing in the world. It was so terrible. And um, so then um, I think about three, two or three years later, um, I, uh, uh, I remember I was, I was talking with one of my best friends and all of a sudden he started talking about how, you know, how much he was into Star Trek. And I was like, oh, okay. Yeah. I remember that. It was terrible. And he's, which episode did you watch? And I described the episode and he said, you watched the episode and their children shall lead, which is universally considered one of the worst episodes ever of the, the show. And, and I went, oh, well then that explains why I thought it was awful. And uh, so that weekend, I, I thought, OK, well, let me try try it again. And uh, sure enough, and actually it was oddly enough, it was an episode called Shore Leave, um, which, uh, uh, again, it wasn't necessarily a you know, big sci fi uh, uh, spacefaring episode. It was on a planet um, and uh, uh, it was enjoyable. And the thing that I liked most about it really was that it could be heavy and light um, and the characters, the interaction of the characters. I mean. Um, you know, the uh, uh, the episode I saw really uh, surely uh, was the 15th episode. So right in the smack dab in the middle of the first season. And I think that's right when uh, the series kind of got its legs and, and, and hit its stride. So, um, you know, and since then, it's uh, uh, it's just been crazy. I've I've seen everything that, uh, uh, you know, that that's come out with Star Trek. Tim, what about you? Well, I have a similar um, beginning uh, where John uh, did. I remember seeing Star Trek um, 
after school, it came on after something else I was watching. And I loved the theme song, you know, and I loved the spaceship. And I was really into Star Wars at the time. And so I remember being judgmental towards it because it's like, oh, this is the thing that's not Star Wars. But Star Wars isn't on TV and there are a lot of blinking lights. That's kind of cool. Um, you know, the special effects are neat. It still has this sci-fi thing. So it would be something that I would watch. But I remember the first time I saw Wrath of Khan and it was with my cousins and someone had said, yeah, we hate Star Trek too, but you should watch this movie even if you're not a fan of Star Trek. And we said, okay, brought the thing home, sitting in my cousin's basement with um, our sisters. And I don't think we spoke through the entire thing, it, unless we were laughing or unless we were like enthralled. Um, and I just remember thinking, this is so much fun. This is freaking me out. This is making me laugh. This is making me wonder. And then we had a really good discussion about it. And I, since then, I saw everything Star Trek that I could find and still really never got into the TV show. Um, but I mean, it was, it really? was fine, but it wasn't anywhere close to the movies. The yeah. movies just had this magic, but uh, we can get more into that later. But that was my first introduction to it. And what I remember when I remember thinking, I'm going to really get into this. I also remember um, thinking that I would, you know, that Star Trek would play in the mid seventies every Sunday night, they'd play um, uh, on what, like uh, it was channel 43 in, in Cleveland. They, they do Star Trek at six o'clock and then they do space 1999 <laughs> immediately following. And I thought, while Star Trek is great and space 1999 is really weirding me out as <laughs> a weird, weird show. So Star Trek seemed a lot more, you know, palatable and, and, and pleasing. And I, I, I liked what you said Tim, about be, it being like heavy, but also light. Like there was always like kind of a cool kind of theme to kind of like a scientific kind of theme to, like, oh, that's pretty cool to think about. That being the heavy and then, you know, their costumes and hairdo and all the other stuff being, uh, you know, the light. But I'm with you that I I thought Wrath of Khan, I saw it in the movie theater, was like, this movie kicks ass. Great. <laughs> Ultimate Montalban. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> oh, and one of the best villains in movie history. I don't care if it's sci-fi or otherwise. It's just this flawless bad guy performance, you know, yeah. it's brilliant. I think, yeah, Rathacon is the Star Trek movie. I think, you know, even if you're not a Star Trek fan. Definitely. Because you've heard that. Yeah. You've heard the Montalban-isms or whatever. So you know, you, you've seen, you've seen the show. I've, I've never seen an episode of the show, but you did see, you've seen episodes. Star Trek? Yeah. Yeah, you know, you'd watch it. And so, like, I remember, uh, of course, obviously, the Khan episode. Uh, there's the episode where Bones gets heavily medicated or some of these that he's crazed. And then he leaps through the portal and then he's in Nazi Germany. And uh, Kirk and Spock have to. That was really good. That was a great, great episode. Yes. It's Joan City. Collins, right? Yeah, City on the Edge of Forever. It's considered probably the best of the original series episodes. It's great. I would agree with that. Would you agree with that, John? Yeah, I would say City on the Edge of Forever is is the best of, of the original series 
uh, shows. Yeah. And how many episodes are there? Because it was, was it three seasons or four? Uh, the original was three seasons. They ran uh, the, the concept actually of reruns at the time really, really wasn't around. So the seasons were pretty long. So they had 79 total episodes. Um, yeah. You know, a, a, a TV series uh, these days, if, if it goes 22 episodes, a full 22, you know, uh, that would be a full season. So um, that's only shows on CBS that are watched <laughs> by people that remember things. <laughs> I, was I think at, Blue Bloods is 35 episodes <laughs> a year. <laughs> I was looking at it, I was like season one, episode 30. And I'm like, geez. Yeah. Well, that was that's the funny thing. I mean, like back then, you know, Star Trek, the only reason that it or one of the one of the main basic reasons it, it ever got on the air was Lucille Ball wanted it to be on the air. Isn't okay? that a great story? Yeah. Yeah. I really? mean, it was. Desi Lou Studios, mm-hmm. and they basically shopped the series idea around. And finally, with NBC, and NBC said, Well, if you pay for half of it, then we'll give you the other half. And they did one pilot, which really kind of failed with audiences. And so then uh, they re racked it, did another pilot, uh, and, uh, and that worked. And, and even through the first two seasons, uh, Desi Lu was still paying basically for half of the the series. NBC wasn't that uh, uh, enamored with it. Um, and then uh, third season came, and unfortunately, uh, Desi Lu was had lost enough money, and so they uh, they uh, got bought up by Paramount, which at the time had zero uh, television studios uh, in their you know in their uh, roster. So they picked up uh, this show Star Trek by buying Desi Lu Studios from Lucille Ball. Wow. Yep, they'd have survived if they let Lucy be the voice of the computer on the Enterprise. <laughs> Without a doubt. Right? Oh, I'm learning things already. <laughs> Amazing. But it was only, the, the, the original only lasted three seasons, is that right? Yeah, yeah, three seasons. And so then it was, it, 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 you know, it's all 66 to 69. And then pretty much 10 years of reruns until the, the, the motion picture came out. Yeah. And it never did. It was never like top 10 rated show or kind of just languished. And well, partly because NBC gave it very bad time periods. You know, it mostly aired, you know, let's take central time. It would be like on at nine o'clock on Friday nights. And, you know, the the audience that would have wanted to see it was was probably out on, on Friday nights, you know, date night. And, you know, in an age when there was no, you know, VCRs, DVRs, anything, it just wasn't watched, you know, by enough people. Right. That really, you know, it first of all, like speaks to the power that Lucille Ball and Desi Arnaz had in Hollywood at that time. Like they could just green light a show and up it went. Yeah, um, well, pretty much to fund it. You know, it's all about who's going to pay for it. Right. You know, at the same time, you know, they uh, there was a story. I mean, when when they had to sell to Paramount. Desi Lu was producing the two most expensive programs on TV, Star Trek and Mission Impossible. And so it's crazy when you think about it, then you go, wow, Desi Lu Studios did that. It wasn't Paramount. It was Lucille Ball. <laughs> right. Very funny. So out of that, um, out of that first, uh, you know, incantation, and we'll, we'll get to the other one soon, but from that first three year run, you know, if you had to pick some of your favorite characters, you know, either regular cast members, villains, who would you go with? The, oh, are... from the original series? Yeah. I've been I've been Team Sulu from like day one. 
I always thought that he was an underwritten character, but when they gave him something to do, just, it was always really interesting, you know? Um, so he was like that unsung, you know, everybody talks about Ohura and, you know, Spock and, you know, Kirk, of course, but I think Sulu was just underrated. I'd agree with you on that. Yeah, I'd also say, uh, uh, especially with the original series, that Scotty uh, vastly underrated. Of course, most of Scotty basically was him in the in the engine room saying, I'm giving right. him all she's got. And, uh, uh, you know, that was about it. They made him a bumbling genius. He was kind of like, um, you know, he was kind of like um, like the bumbling Dr. Watson down right. in the engine room, yeah. you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what do you guys uh, think of, of Shatner, though? Because Shatner gets kind of made fun of. How did you think he was in that role? You know, on the original TV I show? I thought they tried to make him too dramatic. And I think that that's where the tongue-in-cheekness of the Shatnering comes from. Um, and I, I think, as John pointed out earlier, it took them a little while to get to that thing that we love, that right moment for that levity and that smart aleckness, you know? And I think that they were feeling it out. So I, I, I think he had a difficult job. And I think, if anything, yeah, where he annoyed me sometimes, I also look at it as that would have been a hard role to come up with, you know? Yeah, I'd, I'd agree. Uh, uh, you know, the I, I look at it, though. I mean, he really did kind of make the series, uh, you know, without that strong captain, you know, that that uh, that character that, you know, maybe people aren't identifying with, but at least least can uh, can enjoy and, you know, even sort of, you know, make fun of a little bit here and there. I, I think, you know, at the time, though, part of it was, you know, this was his leading man uh, role. And there's enough stories offset about him, you know, essentially uh, uh, suggesting scripts being changed so he gets more lines. Um, and so, you know, he actually may have been, uh, you know, he, he, he could have been the, uh, the inspiration to the character of Master Thespian in many ways. Um, <laughs> you know, give yeah, him some- does that for jag bags. He has Declan edit in more beef. <laughs> Well, I mean, uh, I negotiated that with your agent, but we'll uh, we'll <laughs> save that when our guests are. Our well, members. and in all fairness to that being though a sign of the times, I think that you hear that story a lot. Like if you oh, read yeah. about that era in Hollywood, you know, I, I remember I'm a big fan of The Great Escape, and I remember reading about how like Steve McQueen wouldn't do the movie if his name didn't appear bigger than James Garner's or if he didn't have more lines than so-and-so it's like that pretentious bullcrap happened yeah. all through and probably still does you know for all we know yeah I'd, I'd agree on that um you know that actually brings it's, it's sort of like uh you know when one tries to contrast what's the differences between the original series and the next generation where the original series it was this this triad Kirk, Spock, and McCoy, but it really was like Kirk was number one, Spock was kind of a distant number two, and McCoy was sort of a distant three. And with the next generation, they really tried to spread things out. Yeah. When do you think this is? I mean, I, I have never seen the show. I, I've just seen Spock and I've seen two movies. That's it. But do you think Leonard Nimoy you saw was Spock at Barnes and Noble the other day? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> do you think? 
Spock was perfectly cast because I feel like he oh, was. Oh yeah. Oh, without a doubt. I think that's part of the appeal is he just seemed like an alien. <laughs> you know, I mean, no offense. Don't you think like he's there's something no, about him. The first time I saw Spock, he you almost have this fear of him, and you think mm-hmm. that he has this wizard quality, and it was the severity of the eyebrows especially in the original series that just gave him, I think the best word for it is a severe look. Like I didn't even notice his ears until probably the fourth or fifth time I looked at him because it's the eyes and just the chiseled features of Leonard Nimoy that were so um, enthralling, you know? Yeah. I like what you said about, uh, you know, his kind of like menace. Like, I remember one episode where they visited the home planet of Vulcan because he was supposed to get married. And then there was like some death match that was involved. And I remember when they got to the planet, I was like, this planet is not nice. And uh, <laughs> it added a whole layer to that. Uh, there sure. were definitely a lot more death matches in the original series <laughs> than there were in anything um, past them. I think they should have called it Star Trek death match. Match. <laughs> like, How many times did it end up in the Kumite? What's <laughs> 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 the Kumite versus any of the other ones? What's the Kumite? Have, have you never seen Bloodsport either, Lynn? No. It's a um, it's an underground martial arts tournament to the death. <laughs> you know, I think uh, when, 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 it, <laughs> when it comes to the original characters and we talk about how perfect Nimoy was for Spock. Well, I mean, in a way, of course, because they all were finding their way for their characters. They made the characters who they were. You know, Leonard Nimoy came up on his own with the Vulcan salute because he figured Vulcans would do something other than shake hands as a greeting or something. Um, You know, the original in the original uh, pilot episode, Spock was a heck of a lot more emotional. And so I know that was that was part of it, too. And so I think every every one of the original series actors was able to kind of imbue their own, um, uh, you know, character, you know, with with traits that they wanted or maybe even that they had. Um, and you know, it, it just, it feels so natural to, because it was to them. You know, there's one thing I want to, uh, and it's, it's, you can say this about any like science fiction series, whether it's star Wars or star Trek, you know, how much of the popularity do you think is due to the acting and the writing and how much of it is due to kind of this world that's been created, you know, where it's like the, these incredible uh, you know, technologies, the spaceship, the, you know, the, the, the scientific kind of laws that they, they, we can go to these worlds because our spaceship can go blah, blah, and then wormholes and all that. Um, you know, how much do you, do you think that that is the secret to the popularity of the, or is it the writing and the, and the acting? I think it's a little, all of that. Um, I mean, it's, you can relate to a character that doesn't look anything like you um, in, in, in this series. You can relate to episodes. You can relate to parts of the world. They give you other worlds that you might relate to more, like the Klingon Empire and the Bajorans and the Ferengi. You know, they, it, it's, it's never ending. It's as vast as the universe that they're exploring. And I think that's the appeal to it. Um, 
And not to tangent, but I think it's almost one of the disappointing things about the series is they haven't explored enough. Um, with all everything that they can do, they've limited it to these, we're in a spaceship going around looking at stuff, you know? <laughs> and right. I want to hear the Ferengi legends. I want to go to the Klingon Empire. And, uh, but, uh, and having that as a possibility keeps me coming back. Right. Huh. Right. I got a I got a question too. This was from what I was looking at today. So okay, so the series ends in 1969. So that's basically in syndication for a few years. So the audience must have been really good in syndication because then they come back with the next thing they did was the animated series. Yeah. Have you ever seen that? Yeah, it's terrible. And it was like the original the original cast was doing the voices, right? Yeah. It's wow. awful. It's what? <laughs> It's just awful. There were Star Trek children's books as well. Yeah, yeah, and 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 uh, uh, audio records um, oh, that are just oh. terrible. Yes. Yeah, yeah. I've heard some of that. that oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, but I thought the, it was interesting that it has this staying power just from syndication, pretty much, because the first movie doesn't come out till '79, right? So it's really right. nothing. Besides well, this bad animated series for 10 years, and then it felt like it took off. And, and you know, it, it really was because when it was originally on, so many people just weren't home to watch it. And like I said, you know, the concept of reruns really wasn't a, a, a big concept. And, and, and even, you know, uh, uh, a first run or second run syndication. So when it finally gets syndicated in every market, all of a sudden it's on, you know, in the, in, in a, on a weekend afternoon or uh, at a time when, when people are discovering it and they discover it and they, they write the TV station, ask them to play it more often. And the next thing, you know, it's getting, you know, it's, it's basically was kind of, you know, the original kind of groundswell, you know, of, of, of fandom, you know, to a point where uh, uh, it just couldn't be ignored. I mean, initially, yeah. Uh, uh, I think we, you, you guys can probably do a whole podcast on TV shows that had uh, animated shows made from them, you know, like, like happy days and Gilligan's planet and stuff. Um, but uh, uh, <laughs> oh, remember yeah. when everybody used to be on Scooby-Doo, the Harlem Globetrotters. You know, and so, you know, that was like, Oh, well let's do, you know, we can't, we can't bring the series back, but maybe we could do an animated show. I mean, it was for kids for sure. But, you know, what's interesting of that is they got some of the writers from the original show to do some of those. And a couple of them are OK, but it, you know, it's typical filmation from the 70s animation. Um, but then, you know, pretty much after that, by, by that time, there was enough of a groundswell for something Star Trek that it was inevitable that it was going to come back. Yeah, I, I mean, to me, like Star Trek is more the the, the original TV series is, is more part of the '70s. I feel like than the '60s because it was just everywhere, like you said, and then syndication, and it was something that yeah. was on, and and then culminating with the movie in '79, which I mean, let's get let's talk about that now, uh, which was produced by Dino De Laurentiis. Man, how that movie did not kill. Like, I feel like Star Trek tried to destroy itself until <laughs> Wrath of Khan. Like, was actively like, we believe in this, but everybody's going to not understand what we're doing. But we're going to do it anyway. Um, but you know what, John? We were talking about that before we came on the air. 
what was your opinion of the that first film? You you heard mine. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, actually, it was it was kind of funny. I uh, um, I I first saw the film uh, at at a, at a friend's house. Uh, where we it was a it was a Saturday night. Let's rent a VHS movie. And his <laughs> his parents like we set up chairs, you know, and we're and so it was movie night, you know, and we're watching the film. And and my other best friend is the Star Trek fan had already told me the twist at the end of the film. Right. Right. Halfway through this film, I went, hey, I know what happens here at the end. And I was going to say it and I didn't. And then they finally made me say it. And it was hilarious because everybody just kind of got up from their chairs and walked away. Um, <laughs> you know, there, there were I would agree, you know, Tim, I would say that one of the big strangest things about Star Trek is it perseveres despite the fact that Paramount tries not to actually help it, tries to hinder it in every way possible. Um, and when it came to the movie, you know, at the time, there was going to be a brand new broadcast TV network uh, that was going to launch in 19, I want to say 81, uh, perhaps, uh, the Paramount Network. And one of the, the linchpin show was going to be uh, Star Trek Phase 2, um, which was going to be, uh, it wasn't going to have any of the original cast members. It was basically going to be the Enterprise, you know, on the next five-year mission. Um, and... I guess people, they, they wrote scripts for it. You know, there are scripts out there for the show. And then all of a sudden they kind of shut things down and announced that, oh, we're going to take one of the scripts and turning it into a movie. But they had a short turnaround. And so they took this, you know, this one script that ended up being the most boring and recycled sci-fi <laughs> script ever. Um, they tried to mask it with special effects because this was, you know, at 82. So we're talking about Paramount trying to pr bring out their own Star Wars franchise. Right. Sure. And, and so they you know, it was like, well, Star Wars succeeded because of all the special effects, not because of the writing or characters. And that's pretty much what the motion picture is about. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I remember I remember watching that going. I don't remember Star Trek being this weird. Yeah. You know, <laughs> it's like I always thought it was maybe a little quirky, but never like I, 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 you know, I hadn't even started smoking weed at that time. So I'm like, I don't understand anything that's happening. Um, yeah. I, I remember just being lost throughout that whole movie. I was just like, I, what is going on? I don't understand. Yep. That was my main emotion. But I feel that a lot in life. So, and I was too young. Bald women freaked me out, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but the, now I don't. Did the movie do well at the box office? I mean, despite that all the flaws, it it did it did well enough for them to you know consider doing a sequel. You know, Paramount looked at it and went, "Oh, okay. Well, uh, let's do a sequel." And um, this time, because the first one went way over budget. This time we're going to cut the budget in half. Right. And so the the one of the great again, you know, I feel like, you know, and, you know, Paramount basically not allowing the the franchise, you know, the franchise to grow. Don't give it the resources it needs. And so, you know, when it came to Star Trek Two, they got, you know, Nicholas Meyer, who really wasn't a very well-known director, but he was smart as a tack. 
He knew he knew kind of what he wanted to do. And he did something that later on in your J.J. Abrams never did. He watched the original series again and figured out kind of the heart of the show. Then he found an episode that he thought, hey, pardon? Uh, imagine somebody doing that. Yeah. yeah how about that? Um, and then he, then, you know, then he found, you know, the, you know, this, this episode that could be a sequel. Um, and you know, the, there's enough stories about the, the movie ended up working because a lot of it, because of the budget constraints, they had very little to work with. They were improvising, not improvising, you know, in general, but like, okay, how do we get, do this scene? How do we do that? Um, you know, in such a way that, you know, there's there's something to be said for when you don't have all the resources at, at, at your beck and call that maybe you can actually concentrate on story and 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 drama and, and make a very good film. Pencils and paper are very cheap. And so <laughs> if you use that, your budget toward that and you write a really good script, um, then all of a sudden. You know, it's the opposite of what happens, you know, now. Um, we don't have a budget, so we can't do the special effects. We'll have to write a really good story. Oh, no. Right. <laughs> who, was, who was the original con in the TV series? Ricardo Montalban. Colonel Montalban. Oh, he was. Oh, really? I didn't know. I didn't know. Trans oh, yeah. Right That's over. actually a movie I did see, but I didn't, I didn't know the history. Yeah. Uh, and, okay. you know, Mike, Mike the, the difference between Star Trek 1 and Star Trek 2 go back to the, the the question about you know what 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 makes the franchise you know what what gives it the popularity and the endearment it it really is you know yeah you can have the special effects you can have the characters there if the script is crap it's just going to be a boring movie and you know okay longtime fans will stick with it but if you've got a great story okay and you know yeah the the characters are there the script is there. You know, Star Trek Two. There was never a scene where both Shatner and Ricardo Montalban shared the same room. Right. Okay. It's amazing when you watch that and you're just like, wow, they're they're playing off each other well. And it's like, no, they're not. They never <laughs> were. They were never there at the same time. And right. you know, it's amazing because they they made you know what's known as kind of a summer submarine show. Uh, uh, you know, in, in a lot, you know, a lot of it where it's just, you know, on the ship and and looking at view screens, and, <laughs> but they made it so gripping and, and so well. And and that to me is the ultimate heart of Star Trek. It's it's a story that means something that is going somewhere. And perhaps at the end of it, you might see there might be like a little lesson there or something that, uh, you know, a universal truth being told. Uh, um, you know, at the end. I think also the a key to that success was that you had some solid acting, you know, in addition to the cast, like Ricardo Montalban is like, <laughs> I mean, you you know, the, there's the old Second City uh, TV, SCTV thing about the Ricardo Montalban School of Fine Acting. And, uh, <laughs> but, you know, I don't, for Star Trek, it works beautifully. Uh, and, but not only that, but they put some like, you know, Kirstie Alley, uh, who I thought gave a very good performance, Paul Winfield. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, who's a solid actor and like, he gives like the whole gravity and just really just a presence, uh, that I, I also thought brought this already 
pretty great script really to life. I, yeah, I sci-fi can get derailed by a wooden performance. You have to believe it's actually happening. Right. You get taken out of it. Well, there's some really nice moments for um, Chekhov in there to like just develop his character and you got to learn a lot about Chekhov in that movie, I thought. Um, Definitely. And made him like, there, there came a moment and I'd really have to sit down and think about when it was for each character, but there came a moment where they became less silly. Like they became very real to me, like a person that I now knew and I believe, I believe who this person is. And I think I went through that with each of the crews of each of the enterprises or stations that I was a fan of throughout this universe. And, you know, after um, anything else on uh, Star Trek Two before we move on to the genius of Star Trek Three. Yeah, you know, I was going to save it for the end, but I'll just say it now. Uh, B, yeah. before we came on, you were asking about like things that like if there was anything that ever really irritated you about Star Trek, since we're talking about Wrath of Khan, it also was the birth of the moment in Star Trek that nobody can let die. Um, Spock going ship out of danger. I have been and always will be your friend. And we have had to watch that scene in every series, in every episode, in every movie, in all of the reboots. Uh, it's everywhere. We cannot let that moment die. And it just <laughs> irritates me. It's like Billy Joel's We Didn't Start the Fire. I heard it the first time. It was a good song, but now why is it everywhere that I go? <laughs> Done. That, that's my moment that I cannot stand about Star Trek. Tim is about to burst into flames, everyone. <laughs> Glad we didn't meet in person. <laughs> and, and here I thought you were going to talk about Kirk just screaming, God! No, that's movie magic. I love that. I mean, that, that, that is William Shatner's best moment on film. Like, <laughs> it is, but it also doesn't necessarily fit. Like, would the captain of the Enterprise be mugging for the, you know, for the villain at that point? But it's right. great. It's great. Yeah. No, no, it's, it's the whole Spock thing. That just gets under <laughs> my skin. When I saw that first new movie, I was like, it's here. It's yeah. there. It's oh. right there. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh man um now with star trek 3 uh they they replaced nicholas meyer uh with a new director <laughs> uh leonard nimoy <laughs> that's nimoy oh sorry nimoy sorry no no it's not with the third film they were searching <laughs> <laughs> they could not find their director it's funny like uh uh, I was reading about it and Gene Roddenberry said, well, with this choice, you now have a director that you really cannot fire. Uh, uh, th this, this is your guy. Um, yeah, but, you know, the unfortunate aspect is, is that uh, um, that move, unfortunately, begat uh, uh, William Shatner directing Star Trek V. So... <laughs> Yeah, because of the uh, the clause in their contracts, anything anything Leonard gets, I get, and and he had to direct one. Right. See, and it made sense for Nimoy to direct this one because he wasn't in it a lot. 
He was just in it at the end. He only was in a handful of scenes, as opposed to five where Kirk is in every scene. Right. And it's just like, and, you know, thanks for Kevin Costner, Shatner, you know. (laughs) (laughs) I I feel like Star Trek three is um, underappreciated. Um, it, it's a better movie than than people remember it. I think every time I see it, I'm like, wow, you know, this is, you know, and in my mind, I'm thinking, well, they're doing a lot of walking on the planet and there's stuff happening behind them. But I think it's it's a uh, it's a, a hangover from Star Trek uh, one uh, on on that in my mind. It ends up that, you know, they had some, you know, especially with Klingon, some very good action scenes in it. And uh, and the unfortunate demise of the original Enterprise. Um, mm-hmm. um, it's definitely a better movie than people remember. Although it's one of those things where it's like a sequel. It it just it feels like like a Halloween two and an airplane two. Like yeah, I don't know about it. It's just continuing on a story that was awesome. I'm so glad you said that though, because I I can sit down and watch that movie anytime. Uh, Christopher Lloyd's in it. Come yeah. on. That's yeah. really good acting really good actors. And that. also a great bad guy and a good follow-up bad guy. They didn't try and get another con. They did something completely different. They brought the Klingons in, being all Klingon-y, you know? I mean, it was just, it, I, I, I think it's super fun. Um, you got to educate me on... Um, exactly what a Klingon is. I know they're the Star Trek villains, but I know nothing about Klingons. If I say Worf, do you know the character Worf from the Next Generation series? No. They're a warrior race of um, people. Um, If Kevin Alves is listening, he's going to be embarrassed that I can't explain it. John, you can probably say it better than I can. Yeah. Klingon. Well, yeah. They're like the Spartans of the Star (laughs) Trek universe is how I kind of think of them. They're a warrior class. You know, when they uh, when when they were originally created, the the allegory was going to be like the Federation was American and the Klingons were Russian kind of kind of thing. It's it's like, you know, that um, they weren't necessarily so so much a warrior race in the original series. Um, and uh, 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 then later on, uh, later on, th- things were added to, to, to give the Klingons a little more. You know, they, in the original series, there were some episodes of Klingons, and they, they definitely were uh, very good at battle. And so they were the villains. They were the, you know, the Federation had its planets. The Klingon had its Klingon empire. And, you know, they had, uh, uh, you know, they weren't necessarily run by a king or something like that, but they were were definitely, you know, big on being warriors. Um, later on, you know, that got all fleshed out, you know, more and more, you know, the movies, you know, especially, you know, uh, yeah, Star Trek uh, uh, three, um, you know, and, uh, um, you know, when we get to the next generation, it really, we really start to flesh out, you know, this warrior race. And, you know, it's one of those things where you go, you know, is this a, uh, uh, a type of people that are, you know, just going around killing each other because, you know, they're all macho or something like, but it, it ended up being, you know, it's a race of, of, of people with a warrior code and, and, you know, honor is, is, is big for them. And, you know, they weren't necessarily conquerors per se, uh, you know, as much as, you know, they had what they had. And if anybody tried to try to come close, they would kick your ass. They're kind of like the samurai and the predator 
had a baby. There you go. Yeah. You know, that's the that's the great thing too. I mean, with Star Trek, they've evolved. I mean, they were the they were the the actual diametric villains in the original series. Yeah. By next generation, they're uh, you know they're they're almost part of the Federation, and you know pretty much uh, you know after at least the you know the last of the original films, they they are are officially being part of the Federation. Um, yeah, by the time well, and I believe all the way through the original series and even the movies, yeah, we're at war with the Klingons, and by the time you get to next generation, everything's cool, right? Yeah, uh, the movie did uh, very well, and the critics, um, you know, were pretty much, uh, you know, they said it was a, re- I was, they said it was a good movie, and uh, the original movie, three, three, three yeah, three. Oh, three, yeah, yeah, yeah. got good reviews. Um, well, good. Like Roger Ebert said, uh, it was good, not great. And yeah, but Ebert, I mean, that, that, he, he doesn't have ears at home, you know. <laughs> he only appreciates factory plays. Yeah, exactly. Uh, this is true. <laughs> um, but it did pretty well. And then uh, the next movie was Star Trek for The Voyage Home, also directed by uh, Nimoy. And, oh, uh, that's right. He did that one as well. Yeah. But that's the funny one, right? Yeah, that's the funny one. Time travel to the 80s. Yeah, oh, that's, that's the other one I saw. Pick up the whale. I've seen that one. That's my extent of my Star Trek knowledge. Yeah. yeah. Oh, and it is hilarious. Um, I, I, think, <clears throat> I think four is... It, it was fun. I remember seeing it in... <clears throat> In the theater, I was like, this is a little silly, yeah. but it's a little National Lampoon's Star Trek. But I didn't hate myself for going, and I wasn't like, oh, the series has gone to hell either. I just, it, it wasn't my favorite. But still, I had fun. Me too. Yeah. I remember liking it. I remember thinking that this is, uh, you know, this is not going to change, you know, the way that I look at science fiction and uh life in general but uh but i laughed a lot i i did see star trek uh uh four um i also uh wanted to bring up that shatner said i'm not doing star trek four unless i get two million dollars i'm the highest paid actor here and i get to direct star trek five and they said all right yes yes you can wow (laughs) um that movie had a lot of really good um Scotty and McCoy moments. Those are the ones that stick out for me when they're showing that scientist how to how to make um, thin plexiglass. Right. And yeah. And the way they relate to the computers, you know, putting them in the world that we know, I think the step that that movie made is it made them even more relatable to you than they were. So it wasn't a great movie, but I felt closer to the characters because they just visited me, you know? <laughs> yeah, that some makes people, sense. Some people, like, have complained that, oh, it, that, that's wacky Star Trek, and I don't like, you know, wacky Star Trek. I mean, that didn't bother me. Um, but You know, of- it, was, it was all driven by the whole fish out of water, and so, you know, the, the comedy was, oh, these, these guys don't know anything about, you know, where the nuclear vessels are. Ha, ha, ha. Um, <laughs> <right>. <laughs> Well, I think also there was 
there was a lot of um, environmental stuff going on at that time. And whales were like, you were always hearing about Greenpeace saving whales. And I think that it, it was a kind of a loose attempt to say the importance of saving our planet. And the fact is we screwed it up and we lost something that ended that we ended up needing um, to save our miserable selves, you know? So it had that um, message. That's right. It had that, you know, the, the message at the end. Of, um, Which we obviously learned as we've seen. <laughs> oh. <laughs> it did. The environment is fantastic right now. Absolutely. Pristine environment thanks to Star Trek Four. Thank you, Shatner. Then go 50 years into the future and get us some whales. <laughs> <laughs> now, before we get into Oaken's favorite uh, movie of this series, uh, we should probably stick to the timeline because Voyage Home came out in 86. A year later, Star Trek The Next Generation uh, debuted in September of 1987. And um, it's starring Patrick Stewart, Jonathan Frakes, and LeVar Burton. And, um, and this really took the whole franchise in a completely different de uh, direction. What was your reaction when um, that series came out? Do you remember, you know, being fans of the movies? You know, what was, were you like, oh, cool, or were you like, hmm? I'm suspicious. I was simply skeptical, I would say. But you know what brought me into the next generation more than anything else? I was such a reading Rainbow fan, and I will, and LeVar Burton is still my TV friend. Um, and I was like, reading Rainbow is going to be on Star Trek. I'm, <laughs> I'm there. Um, I can't believe they're covering up his beautiful eyes. Um, and, but, but then I saw a couple episodes and I was just hooked. And you said that's your favorite, right, Tim? That's your favorite of all of Star Trek? Things? Next Generation, I would say if I picked, if I had to name the top five favorite series that I've ever seen, it's definitely on the list, if not number one. And what Why? makes it, what makes it your favorite? Why? Um, again, it's, I think that they perfected that world that they just, that they could do just about anything with. And when they ran into a problem, just go to the holodeck. Um, if we can't do it in this universe, we'll just we'll just invent this room that we can turn into anything we want. So we can tell any story we want. And if we can't think of one for next week, let's tell the story of Robin Hood. Let's take Star Trek into the into the holodeck and tell the story of Robin Hood. Um, I think right from the get go, what hooked me is humanity on trial. Um, and Q surpassed Khan as the greatest villain. Like this series has created the best bad guys. Um, and so the fact that from the get-go in this series, we are put on trial for being who we are and the things that we claim to have accomplished, we need to back those things up. Um, and I would, I mean, I could talk forever about this, but I would sum it up by saying, what I also love about Star Trek, and I think what makes it just last, is that after we've ended poverty, after we've basically ended racism, sexism, all these things that we're dealing with right now, you cannot take 
power, corruption, greed from anybody. We're still battling those things intergalactically. We're still battling those things in ourselves. It's not just this exploration to better ourselves. We're realizing that we're still corrupt. People still lie, cheat, steal in all of these races and worlds that Star Trek creates. And we're constantly battling that out on this very big level. So I think there's a big psychology to it that is just nicely put um, in this series. And all of the characters, I mean, the stories they tell, they just mastered storytelling in that series. But I'll let John talk for a minute because I just spouted. No, it's all right, Tim. Uh, that's it's your favorite, right. Tim. I was wondering what you said. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, you know, I, um, so I was such a big fan of the originals. And I, you know, remember when it came out and, and it started airing. And yeah, like Tim, I was skeptical. Um, honestly, probably about, uh, well, let's see, I, I grudgingly watched the whole first season. Didn't think it was all that great. Um, you know, it turns out you, you look back on it and the writing was not that great. There were, there were a lot of rough patches and it, it was also finding its place. Um, started the second season, I actually stopped watching it. And um, it wasn't until third season that my friend said, wait a minute, it just got great. And, and the show, you know, it's on for seven years, even in reruns. Now, if the first two seasons air, there's only a couple of episodes I might watch. Otherwise, I just bypass it. And it's third season on, you know, uh, Riker got his beard in the second season. I used to say only the Riker beard episodes, but really it was it was third season on that there. I, you know, there's there's barely a clunker in the bunch, you know, if, for for any friends that are big on um, on uh, uh, binging uh, uh, shows, you know, it's like, oh, I want to watch Star Trek. You know, on the one hand, I would say, well, OK, yeah, go next gen like season one. But there's a part of me that's like start with season three and, 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 and go forward because that'll really get you hooked. That'll really get you into it um, there. Uh, uh, I remember when it came on and, you know, through you know, kind of midway through the first season, there was another just a very strange thing in the fandom where it attracted new fans that wanted to tell you how great this series was and how terrible and dated the 60s series was. And it was that was just strange to me. It was like, why can't these both exist? Uh, you know, why can't we like both of these? But I, I remember, you know, as somebody who was such a fan of the original people coming up to me, you know, even family members, you know, uncles or aunts and be like, yeah, that news that the new the next generation is great. That, you know, makes the original series look like a, a child's show. And it, it was just it's just the strangest thing. But to me, the, the big irony of it is, you know, that show is a product of the 80s and 90s. You watch it now. It's a product of the 80s and 90s. You talk uh -huh. about dating. Is Jim J. Bullock on it? I, uh, I believe he did guest on. No, he, um, <laughs> but he it, could have. It, it's funny how like, oh, you know, the original series is dated. The original series feels classic, whereas the next gen, especially, well, next gen and even the later series where they were just using wall-to-wall -wall carpeting everywhere 
and, uh, uh, and, and all it, it does feel like, and, and that's one of the reasons, you know, like Tim, I, I watch it. I watch it so often. There's actually even on uh, streaming uh, on Pluto TV, there's a Star Trek next generation channel that does nothing but run Star Trek next gen. And so that I'm on that, that TV is on with next gen episodes all the time when I'm not watching anything else. Yep. I can, you can sit down and watch just about any episodes and you know what? I, you make me want to go back and watch those first two seasons. I think like I, I was geeking out too much about like LeVar Burton. And then um, I also had the connection with Brent Spiner because he was one of my favorite Broadway actors. Um, I knew who Patrick Stewart was. Um, so it, it, it's like, oh, I, I actually knew some of these people. And I forget who some of the guest stars were in those first two seasons, but there, there were enough familiar faces that I was like, like people believe in this. And regardless, I like the way it looks, you know, um, you know, the, I loved the new ship. I, yeah. The blinking lights were better. They were LEDs. They weren't like little light bulbs, you know. Um, so, <laughs> You're so light specific, Tim. I am. I, you know, I love <laughs> the look. And it, but it is true. Like the original series looks like a light bright, you know. Um, and then you get to next generation and everything's like smooth. And it's a touch screen and, you know, um, <laughs> technology right. that I didn't understand. You know, I, I still had an Apple IIe at the time. So. <laughs> one, one actor that you guys haven't mentioned that was, that was on that show is Will Wheaton. And I feel like he's like a spokesperson for Star Trek these days. What part did he play in the show? He was a uh, Wesley Crusher. Um, the... The, That's not a very Star Trek sounding name. Yeah, I was just like, oh, okay. <laughs> <A> middle <laughs> linebacker name. <laughs> <laughs> Dr. Crusher, Dr. Beverly Crusher was the ship's doctor and he was her son um, and leaves. Um, Will Wheaton's story on that show is very interesting. Um, it really created like a lot of emotional problems for him um, as he progressed through um, through that show, simply because man, you really had to live your life in the public eye. And everybody thought he just got raked across the the coals by the Trekkies for his acting, which I never thought was that bad. I was just like, oh my God, it's the kid from Stand By Me. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm on board. He went from Stand By Me to Star Trek. So he had a big change in 87. You know, I I felt like the, the character itself, oh, you know, we've got basically this genius kid who is going to be in charge of steering the ship. And, you know, on the one hand, as a Star Trek fan, you're like, really, is he, is he the most qualified to do this? And then the genius kid thing. And I feel like they just gave him very bad, uh, bad lines and, and just bad characterization, you know, especially early on it, it, it felt like having cousin Oliver on the bridge and you just wanted to punch, (laughs) you wanted to punch him so many times. (laughs) <laughs> that is the best analogy I have ever heard. That's brilliant. Yeah. But why Why do you think he's the guy now? I feel like every time I hear about Star Trek, Will Wheaton is commenting on Well, because he's involved in all of like the Comic-Cons and things like that. And he's on a lot of those panels. And he it, like he, he's got to be the president or run some kind of... Doesn't he have a podcast? 
Yeah, yeah, he's got a podcast. So it's like his career now. Star Trek is his career now. Well, I would say comics and things like that are his career now. He also talks a lot about video games. Uh, He'll review things like that. I see him doing that all the time. Mm -hmm. Um, He was in, he was a wonderful part of the Big Bang Theory. Love or hate that show, Will Wheaton on the Big Bang Theory as the ultimate nemesis of these super geeks is one of, I just thought, one of the greatest things ever done. Agreed. Um, Agreed. Yeah. There's some uh, interesting things about this series, too, as well. I I remember, uh, first of all, like, they couldn't find a TV station to carry it, like NBC, ABC, CBS, you know, Fox. They were like, well, you know, no, or uh, we'll do a mini series, and if it does well, then maybe we'll think about doing it a series. And so what Paramount did was just basically broadcast it in first run syndication on independent stations. And I mean, that at the time, kind of a, I don't know, like a risky strategy, but unlike any that I, I could remember, I, I mean, I don't remember any other show from the eighties that you were like, you had to go back to, but kind of a brilliant move because that's where you saw the original Star Trek. It makes sense that the next generation is on those same, um, you know, stations and, um, you know, and, and it obviously took off. Um, the other thing too, is that I think it was nominated for Emmys like almost immediately. Like it was critically acclaimed. Mm-hmm. As I, I didn't watch too much of it. Um, I never got over my, oh, well, this isn't the original. Um, until it was, until it was, you know, too late. Um, but I think that's, I think that's an interesting part of, of the next generation. Um, oh, it was definitely one of those that I watched religiously every week, tried to watch it live if I could, but probably had, you know, some school activities, but got real great use out of my VCR um, and, you know, had tapes full of Star Trek, you know? You know, it when it aired, uh, it, yeah, it wasn't given as much of a chance, much of a chance, I guess you should say, that in certain markets, certain TV stations that were offered the show um, and, and, you know, regrettably passed on it, um, I, I am aware in Chicago that WGN said no to it. Oh, really? And so it aired, you know, here it aired on uh, WPWR Channel 50, which at the time was so low rated. I mean, it, yeah. it was not it was known for, you know, music videos in the That's afternoon. what I watched on there. <laughs> right. And and it was, you know, it, it, otherwise nobody was watching it, you know, you know, uh, you know, most of the time. And so it aired on Channel 50. It made that station. Because the station then became a destination point. They made a ton of money, you know, running it. Um, And uh, uh, subsequently, when the next series came out, Deep Space Nine, WGN grabbed that one. Right. Um, Okay. Didn't want to make that 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 same mistake. Um, You know, I I yeah, I'd gotten to the once after season three through seven. It was a religious experience watching the show. You know, sometimes you know watch it you know, was always, uh, you know, watch the show and, you know, as soon as it was over, call my best friend. And we're just talking about the show, uh, to the point that, um, 
uh, around the uh, the sixth season, actually around the fifth season, it became pretty well known that the show actually accepted unsolicited spec scripts. So awesome. any writers could just send in a script and they might consider it. Awesome. And so, of course, my, my best friend and I, uh, we were like, uh, hey, you want to write? Uh, let's write a Star Trek script. And uh, it was a little tough because at the time I was living in Albuquerque, New Mexico, uh, and he was here in Chicago. But uh, and without the Internet, it was just basically mailing stuff and and talking on the phone. <laughs> but we wrote a Star Trek uh, script that got rejected. But, you know, we still look at it and go, this should have been a next gen episode. <laughs> Do you remember the plot? Can you give us a synopsis? <laughs> um yeah the 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 plot was is the enterprise uh well we had you know the main plot was the enterprise comes uh, uh comes across a planet you know of 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 people that are in in you know well health or whichever and uh um uh you know find come to find out that you know any anybody who's sick rather than uh, 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 well, basically they just kind of, they just eliminate them. You know, they're eliminating disease by getting rid of, you know, it's the, uh, uh, um, the Darwinian uh, way of, uh, of running a planet and, uh, and look at Jordy and they're just like, yeah, you wouldn't, you wouldn't belong here. And then, then they, then you find out that they actually could cure all of these things or whatever, and ask him if he wants his site back. For whatever reason, we decided that we would keep the status quo and he would end up saying, no, I don't want anything artificial other than what I've got now, which is ridiculous because later on he got his eyes back or he got new eyes. Um, but the, the, the funniest thing was we had the, the B plot was um, was Jordy teaching data. No, Jordy and uh, and Riker teaching data how to play ice hockey. <laughs> and and because because and this was we were doing I was doing it in, in reference to like, oh, well, uh, Commander Riker is from Alaska. And so we probably they probably played a lot of ice hockey there. And uh, and so we within it, the problem was, is he was playing, uh, you know, when he did his uh, his research, he was playing more uh, like a goon. And so he was checking everybody into the boards and didn't understand what the problem was. <laughs> that's hilarious that's great oh man i hope you still have it kicking around someplace oh yeah no i've, I've still got it I, I still even keep the old program that probably doesn't run on, on this computer uh that i that i wrote it with uh uh scriptware and uh um but yeah no it uh you know and, and actually i think the the <laughs> one of the big problems was we decided to tie the the planet they went into like oh they're somehow related to the Borg and we just threw too many, too many things in the kitchen sink. Um, but it really, it was a testament to like, man, we love this show so much. We want more and we right. want to add to it. Yeah. Right. Oh, that is awesome. Um, before we get into uh, deep space nine, let's, let's just talk very quickly about the final two movies uh, from the original series films, uh, uh, what Oaken uh, considers the greatest Star Trek movie in the history of the canon, Star Trek V, The Final Frontier, and then Star Trek VI, The Undiscovered Country, the final, that's, that's the final installation. Um, what are your thoughts on five and six? Um, <laughs> and be kind. <laughs> I think, you know, uh, five, 
is the balance of four. Like four was so goofy, right? And then you come along with five, which is like reading the complete idiot's guide to astrology. And, <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, or, or to religion and fundamentalism. And, you know, I, I, like, I liked what it explored. It's like, it's like C.S. Lewis wrote a Star Trek movie. You know, that would be as close as you'd get to it. And the character of Cybok, Spock's brother, all of that, you know, four, four and five, both are movies that I just enjoyed. I wouldn't say, oh my God, they changed cinema, you know, <laughs> but, <laughs> or I see Star Trek on a whole new level of philosophy now, you know, I'm, I'm not quite there, but they were very enjoyable. I, Cybok kind of got annoying to me. I'm like, stop being so good natured, be a little more Hank Scorpio. You know, um, it's like, yeah, but oh, Lord, it was fine. Him. It was fine. Yeah, I think Star Trek Five is the worst uh, of of the the original series films. It's it is so so flawed. And and granted, it, this is another case of Star Trek Four did great. And Shatner said, yeah, I'm going to direct five. And Paramount said, wonderful. Your budget is cut again. <laughs> um, even to the point where they were using, they were still using the same uniforms that were in Star Trek two. Like, you know, they had to cover up holes and things like that. They, <laughs> so, so they were recycling those things. But the other thing is, is just the, the entire concept probably, you know, in a way it was, it was a Star Trek one, you know, problem too, which was, you know, oh, the Enterprise goes off and 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 meets God, really, uh, you know, that that's a it's a bit a bit much. And how do you do that in such a way? And in fact, you know, even the special effects had to be cut, so the you know climactic uh, uh, action scenes uh, of uh, Kirk versus God, uh, you know, weren't. <laughs> weren't what he originally envisioned though i'm i'm sure he envisioned roundhouse punches and uh, him <laughs> kicking god's ass <laughs> but but it it script wise it even needed probably a another or a second rewrite just to you know because there are certain cringe worthy lines and 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 just things in there that um you know it, it it's really tough for me to enjoy that film. I'll agree with you that it is the worst of the original series movies, hands down. It was it's faxing us right now. I'm it was sure, uh, yeah. it was overwhelmingly like panned uh, by critics. Um, now on the flip side, Undiscovered Country, I did like it was a murder mystery in space. You know, I, I thought they did a really nice job with that film. Yeah, and they brought back Nick. Nick Meyer came back from from Star Trek Two, so the director from there. And yep. in fact, he wa originally wanted to make name Star Trek Two, Star Trek Two: The Undiscovered Country. And the the studio said nobody will understand what that means. Um, but yeah, no, uh, uh, Star Trek Six um, is you know actually my my second favorite of the original films. Um, it's it's a tremendous uh, uh, film, you know, all around. Yeah. I mean, I love it. I've not seen it, but I love the cast. Uh, you have uh, Christopher Plummer, uh, yeah. David Warner, uh, 
Kim Cattrall, I Man. I mean, come on. Mm-hmm. I was going to mention David Warner because of Tron. I love Tron. <laughs> Tron's one of my favorite sci-fi movies. Oh, hands down. Yeah, yeah it's a great film. David Warner's great. I uh, yeah, he's like a awesome like a classic like sci-fi actor. He's just got oh, and he's so good in that severe features. They do villain villainy so well. Yeah. Um, in Star Trek, you just Agreed. love the villains. Agreed. Probably so a good. Should, all right, so real quick, then you two rate the six then in order. Two. Three, six, four, five, one. I'm close. Uh, two, six, four, three, uh, one, five. Seems pretty, uh, pretty universally acknowledged that one and five are the worst. Hands down. Damn. Yeah. Yeah. Oaken is Oaken's gonna come here and kill us all. Oaken yeah. is. <laughs> That's why we're all in different spaces. He'll never find us. He's safe. I will get into my As Jim's store opens. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, that's how you guys know to leave your homes, you know. Yeah. Like <laughs> Oaken is beaming right now into my basement with a uh... <laughs> with a bat left, and he's gonna stab the heck out of you. Right, right. <laughs> you so, don't know what it is. <laughs> I don't know what that is. It sounds horrible. No thanks. Uh, so let's get into uh so Undiscovered Country came out in 91, uh, while Next Generation is thriving, and then two years later in 93, Deep Space Nine makes its debut. Talk a little bit about Deep Space Nine. Um, it's uh, how is that different from Next Generation, and uh, do, what's your opinion of it compared to the other TV, um, the, the original one, and, and the, the Next Generation? Um, when it came out, so so the the whole concepts and everything, I, I think every Star Trek fan was like, "What you can do is." you're going to do a Star Trek and there's not going to be a ship. You're just going to be stationary instead of going places. People are going to be coming to you. And so um, there, there may have been a lot of skepticism, but the other thing was, is that, you know, the people who were doing next gen, were going to going to be doing deep space nine. And so I think there was definitely a lot of trust that, okay, well, whatever they're going to do, this is probably going to be pretty good. Um, You know, it, it turns out it, it is, I think it's a more it's a it's a pretty polarizing series because there are a ton of Star Trek fans that think it is beyond anything else. It is the best of all the Star Treks. I personally got bored with it. I I I it lost me eventually um, through various various reasons. I felt like it was overly religious um you know with with this bajoran religion and uh uh that really was unfortunately the centerpiece of the whole series um and uh um you know the characters weren't all that that great uh uh um you know even to the point where you know eventually they brought uh michael dorn his wharf character uh onto the show to kind of help out to kind of add uh, add to things it was it is the darkest one could say 
of, of all of the series as well. Whereas the original series in Next Gen and, and the movies, the idea is, is that, hey, the Federation, you know, everything is fine. We've we've gotten rid of crime and poverty and and everything is cool. Everyone's cool with everyone else, which intrinsically we know is pretty much impossible. There's no way that universally you're going to have a utopia like that. And the the Deep Space Nine creators, you know, they they didn't say it when it was happening, even though you could see it and they say it after the fact. They wanted to make a series that also would show the underbelly of the Federation and let's show some of the warts and and the moral ambiguities, ambiguities, ambu- amb- <laughs> ambiguities, moral issues that, you know, ambiguities, <laughs> complicated uh, moral issues. <laughs> you know, let, let's have that instead of the, the straightforward good versus evil type stuff. Yeah, I really I really liked the concept of the show. It's like. It's this space station that's being held by thrusters outside this wormhole that is waiting to devour it if anything goes wrong. I mean, if you think about that, that's the equivalent of living in a pickup truck that is constantly in reverse on the edge of a cliff. And if reverse fails, you're going to fall off the cliff. Um, So there's always, you know, it's like, it's that same thing like the the series MASH. It always had the war looming over it. You know, Deep Space Nine always had this impending doom that could happen at any moment. Um, And I agree with John. It it was like, you know, um, a, a series that took place. It's like if they had done a Star Wars series all about the cantina, you know? (laughs) Um, (laughs) Deep Space Nine was like, kind of like that. Which I would watch. Yeah. But it's just sort of like, you know, those old West towns and you're just waiting until the next honorary son of a bitch comes through town and you have to deal with them. That would would be a good title of a show. Next honorary son of a bitch. Yeah. And Tim, you can play that guy. Um, no, I'm the affable bastard, as we know. So. <laughs> well, it sounds like Deep Space Nine, Nine people might like it because, from what Tim said, there was an inherent tension from what you, you know, the space station. Yeah. And you said it's the darkest. And people like things like that because they think it's more serious if it's dark all the time. So people would, I could see why people would latch onto that show. I mean, it, it ran for a long time. It was like, what, six seasons? Yeah. Seven. Yeah. 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 The next gen deep space nine and Voyager went seven seasons. Um, yeah. Deep space nine with it, with a shift in tone, it definitely attracted fans that maybe weren't totally into the original and, and next gen. Um, so I may not like it, but I know, I know people who think it's, it's the best of all the series. It, I will say of all the series, I liked it, but I have never, it's never like my go-to. Right. I can't think of anything else to watch. Um, I'll watch any of the movies, Next Generation, any day of the week. But I, I, I don't avoid it. But I've never gone back to it. You know, there weren't. I also noticed there weren't any, really any name actors in this one, and nobody really got a career from it either. Well, Rene Aubergenois, uh, who played Odo on that show, was a big stage actor, um, and also yeah. was on Benson. Yeah, yeah, I remember played, from Benson. Just yeah. him. The only names I recognize were his and Cole Meany. And that was about it. Mm-hmm. Avery Brooks. 
Who's yep. Avery? I don't know who Avery Brooks is. A man called Hawk? Yeah. I don't know what that is. He was from Spencer from Hire? Yeah. No. <laughs> Do you remember Robert that. Urich? Right. I know <laughs> Robert Urich is. Yeah. I don't know who the great Avery Brooks is. Well, well, that's also is weird. Is he as thing. good as Titus Welliver? <laughs> <laughs> oh, don't get me started on Titus Welliver. <laughs> Someone was watching Kazam a few too many times to, uh, you know, know who Titus Welliver is. <laughs> but I thought the acting on Deep Space Nine was great. Armin Shimmerman uh, gave the Ferengi, you know, um, depth that we didn't know about them um from the next generation you know put a lot of more information about these different races out there um and i think that that was a good thing that deep space nine did but i felt well versed enough that you didn't need to introduce me to anything and i think maybe that's why i don't go back to it all that much before we uh talk about i'm just trying to go in chronological order we before we talk about voyager uh, the first of the next generation films came out, uh, Generations, which came out in 1994 with Patrick Stewart and William Shatner. Uh, and talk about this movie, because this is this to me, I saw this and really I thought I thought it was very good. But I wonder what you uh, it, it get it got mixed reviews and some people didn't think it was all that. It's still kind of mixed in my head. I watched it for probably the second time, maybe two years ago, since I had seen it in the theater. And I remember my reaction being, I'm not expecting, I remember my reaction going in was totally fulfilled. I'm not going to love this because they have to bring the two series together. We have to kind of pass the torch. That's what this movie is going to be. And it exceeded my expectations. I enjoyed it a lot more than I thought I was going to. But it also started with, I think, one of my blanketed statements about the whole universe is that the Next Generation series are fabulous and are far better than any of the Next Generation movies. The original series movies completely surpass anything that you saw in the original series series. Um, And... You know, all of the Next Generation movies, they felt like the the Star Trek movies, the original series, they felt like movies. Um, The Next Generation movies feel like long episodes that I could watch at home. Um, They didn't feel like these films, you know? I I can't really describe it better. That makes sense. That makes sense. But not to tangent, I thought it was okay, and I thought they passed the torch just fine, and... I think we had to watch Spock die in that one too, didn't we? <laughs> always Tim, you have always been my friend. <laughs> Never tell Tim that. Yeah, I, I didn't I didn't care for generations. Um, you know, when it came out, it was like, oh, okay, this is good. But again, in in my mind, and in coming from somebody, it's really it's it's interesting because somebody who is a writer or you know a a creator of of something and i think everybody you know all of us can 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 attest to this we have a different critical eye on 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 media than others and so i'm always looking at the story and the underlying story of generations was flawed um and they made the they made mistake you know they they start out with a with an enterprise with a captain 
who's incompetent. And that, that doesn't, it's like that leaves a bad taste, taste in your mouth. Um, the, what I think is the, the funniest thing about the whole knowing, you know, what, what year do we say, uh, um, generations was 94. Yeah. Okay. So at the time, you know, even Shatner was kind of like, ah, you know, maybe it's time to kill off Kirk. My goodness. Does he regretted that beyond belief? You know I mean? <laughs> He's still pitching stories on how to bring his Kirk back because, you know, he probably at the time he thought I'm too old. Okay. Well, you know, we're talking about 26 years ago. Um, what about now? He's going into space himself. Um, but anyway, uh, it, to me, it was, a, it was a flawed story, but it ended up being, you know, okay. You know, I looked at it like it was a placeholder, you know, kind of like Tim, it was like, well, it is what it is. And let's see what the next films will, will be. And I completely agree with Tim that the rest of the next gen films just felt like long episodes and, and not really even good episodes. Um, you know, the best of uh, best two hour next generation of anything probably was an all good things. Uh, you know, the, the last, the, the two part fin- finale of the show, the best finale of all of the star Treks hands down. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, and I, I, I didn't really care much for generations cause I, I felt like there was some disrespect. That's another thing too. I felt there was a little disrespect for the original series because the whole, the, the next gen series, you know, crew and, and, you know, the direct, you know, the, uh, the writers and everything, the creators came and were doing those movies, which probably really kind of, you know, uh, um, contributed to everything feeling like, um, like episodes, they didn't get new writers in to write something new. And when they finally brought somebody new in, they brought in a new director to do the last of the films for Next Gen, which is so forgettable that I remember at one point about five years ago, I was on a work trip in, uh, uh, and it was probably like in Minneapolis or something. And I go back to my hotel room and turn on the TV and I'm watching this Star Trek and I'm like, and there's, there's Picard and there's, and I'm like, I don't ever remember seeing this. And it was the last, it was nemesis. It was the last of the films. Um, totally forgettable. <laughs> totally forgettable. Yeah. So those, so those, all those films, first contact insurrection nemesis, you're saying are you're better off watching some of the series finales. Oh, you're better over those better films. off watching some of the series episodes. I can think of episodes of that show that stand out in my mind just at the drop of a hat that involved Lieutenant Barkley, that involved Professor Moriarty. And that hour of TV, um, you know, it just surpasses all of those movies. If I had to pick one, First Contact would be my favorite. Uh, just because it has James Cromwell, um, it kind of has that Star Trek uh, four um, going through it where they go back to a pivotal moment. But it's a pivotal moment where we're going to discover warp speed and the person that discovers warp speed and um, and what it would, you know, and it's it's the classic, your hero is never as great as you think they are story. But it just works because it's James Cromwell. You know, never go wrong with James Cromwell. He yeah. automatically improves everything. It was just super fun the way that everybody related to him. I just thought it was a good story. Like, 
but it wasn't it, like it didn't need to be a Star Trek film. But, you know, and it's right. still good. Right. <laughs> and it was that that classic line when you looked at Picard and said, that'll do, pig. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Maybe not. But still, that would have been great. Um, yeah, I would say First Contact was was the best of the next gen films in my mind, too. Even though, again, I looked at it and went, oh, we're going back in time again. OK, right. we're doing something with the Borg. Um, OK, fine. Um, but yeah, you know, and then Insurrection was a mess. And uh, and Nemesis is, is said forgettable. Just you know what it probably needed, John. Ice hockey scenes. <laughs> yeah. That's what <laughs> they must have made money though. They made four of them, right? Well, you know, it's it's. I bet they were all successes. I bet people went to see them. I went to see all of them. Yeah. You know. <laughs> you know that you know they were moderate successes. Yeah, I mean they they you know they weren't weren't huge hits, but. By the time the fourth one came, they did, you know, Paramount did their normal, we're going to, we're going to cut your budget and we're going to throw this, uh, this, this director on who knows nothing about Star Trek. And, you know, then they got what they, what they got. So, um, you know, it's the series, the, the franchise itself, as I say, I feel like at various times is disrespected by its studio. Um, And then at various times, the creators are just wrong. Uh, for for what they're doing and and there was a point with the next gen films where i just kind of thought you know bring somebody else in to do the writing instead of these guys that were that wrote next gen episodes eight years ago and and are now you know the the producers well and next gen made the same mistake of let's see jonathan frakes directed one of them yeah stewart directed one of them um you know it's just like does everybody need to direct a, like a Star Wars movie? <laughs> right, right, right. Direct the series. You did fine with the episode. Jonathan Frakes started directing a lot of episodes of the series, um, and a lot of those were just really good. Um, yeah. At the same time, how how hard is it to direct an episode of Star Wars or a Star Trek? Come on, <laughs> you know. <laughs> Yeah, he's actually one of the primary directors on uh, on Star Trek Discovery now too, which is kind of cool. Oh, Jonathan Frakes. Yeah, Jonathan Frakes. Yeah, and he did some Picard episodes as well, as well as being in them. That's awesome. We're gonna get to those um, soon enough. Let's talk very quickly uh, about the last two television series. Uh, the first being Voyager which ran from 1995 to 2001, starring uh, Kate Mulgrew as uh, Captain Janeway. Of Remo Williams' The Adventure Begins. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. And then Enterprise from 2001 to 2005. Uh, Talk about these two series for, uh, and which did you like better and uh, how are they different from the, what was their step, their next step or progression from the previous series? I love Voyager almost as much as I love Next Generation. Almost. Really? But that's kind of an odd statement because I couldn't say it would be in my top five all-time favorite series. (laughs) And Next Generation definitely would be, so. Yeah, I I can't say that I like Voyager uh, uh, that much. you know, when it was on, it was on and I watched it and I just never really completely connected with it. Um, 
I didn't care for most of the characters. Um, you know, probably probably the one character that I liked the most, Harry Kim, in seven years was the only character I think who never got promoted. And so he was an ensign at the beginning and an ensign at the end. Yep. Um, so he did nothing basically to the the again as a writer, the 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 biggest problem I had with the show was that they wanted to have a re- reoccurring nemesis villains. But the point of the show was the the ship was sent to a far flung, you know, think about it as like the, you know, the sh- a ship is in California, they put it in New York. Okay, fine. Now it's going to make a beeline back home. Well, if you're going to be going, you know, beeline, you're not going to keep running across the same people. You are flying away from them. And you're, <laughs> and it's going to take you 10 years. Exactly. To get, you are so far away from home at maximum warp. It will take you 10 years. And every week you slow down for an hour right so (laughs) you're not even constantly going you're stranded on this planet like it definitely had its sort of flaws and i was just like they're doing this because sooner or later q or some magical space leprechaun of some kind is going to come and like cut this journey in half you know (laughs) so yeah and then it ended up you know with their uh, i feel like the finale was a cheat on how to get them back home you know, it was so, um, and then, uh, uh, you know, but at the time it was like, okay, they didn't want to, they weren't going to do another, you know, single, single place episode, or I'm sorry, show like these space nine. So let's get them back on a ship, but we'll do it with a twist. You know, they're way out of the Federation. Um, and then, you know, with enterprise, I think at that point where we're also talking about the next gen films that were, progressively getting worse and after so many years of shows and there were there were a lot of overlapping years where there were would be two shows on at the same time right um with enterprise they you know they didn't launch enterprise i mean enterprise was basically um not even wait a year and and then it, it comes on um they made some fundamental mistakes they put some people on the show that that you know the showrunners really weren't all that great for the first couple of seasons you know the and I knew that there was a problem when they said, well, instead of having the theme music be something orchestrated, um, we're going to take a Rod Stewart song and uh, and re-record it. We're not even going to use Rod Stewart's version. We're going to re-record it. Yeah. And uh, um, and then it was Rod Stewart, right? I, I, I think so. Yeah. And uh, something um, like that. Yeah. So the other the other thing was, is it. But Enterprise is interesting because it's a prequel. The idea is it's it's the first uh, uh, warp capable ship um, and basically the precursor to the creation of the Federation. Um, And so I enjoy looking back and watching some of the some of the not all of them, some of the episodes. uh, There are some good gems in there um, just to see kind of how they how they took, you know, they knew what the technology was going forward. So how do you, how do you backwards engineer it, you know, make it smaller? Um, okay. We don't have transporters and not really big shuttlecrafts. We've got these little pods and things like that. So that was interesting, but you know, unremarkable series and, you know, yeah. four seasons and out. And, and that was it for the franchise at like, that point. People should have just been dying in horrific accidents left and right. <laughs> <laughs> 
because it was technology that they didn't quite know. So it should have been like, put her in warp and the whole ship just blows up. And it's like, <laughs> oh, next week we need a new crew right. because we lost that one. Got to get this warp speed thing down. Or like the love boat. They have like four characters in the same four characters every week. They manage <laughs> to survive each time. Or it's like, you know, you've gotten Fred Brandy back. <laughs> you get into a shuttlecraft and it just launches you out the back <laughs> of a torpedo. And like things had to have been malfunctioning left and right in that thing. I yeah. do want I do want to say I was looking at the uh actors who guest starred on these uh episodes. I mean, talk about star power. Uh sure. Jason Alexander, uh yeah. Dwayne Johnson. Yeah. Uh, Michael McKean, Sarah Silverman, Ray Walston, uh, Kurtwood Smith, the great Titus Welliver. Titus Welliver. <laughs> of a Good couple man. of episodes, to wow. name just a few. Joel Green. Enterprise, right? Beeb's going to watch Enterprise now because yeah. at least a Welliver episode. That's some Welliver <laughs> in your life. <laughs> well, everybody wants to be on an episode. I mean, my dream as an actor, I'm like, I don't even need a whole episode. I want to be like someone that runs in, delivers one line of techno babble and like walks out the door. You know, that would be amazing. <laughs> you you want to do the Christian Slater uh, cameo, right? Christian exactly. Slater, right. It's just like, you know, the hydrogen capacitors aren't going to hold Captain. What are we going to do? <laughs> you know. Those are so and there's like an explosion. Oh, well. <laughs> But those are so iconic. It's like you were talking about Scott, you know, Scotty and how he was your favorite. It's it's funny because I watched I watched uh, the Saturday Night Live, the Belushi spoof <laughs> of uh, Star Trek. And then in the 80s, uh, the, the USS Restaurant Enterprise, where mm -hmm. Kirk is running a restaurant on the USS Enterprise. Mm -hmm. And in both episodes, Kirk, you know, flips open his thing and says, Scotty, report and they go i'm giving it all i can and the place goes crazy yeah like just yeah. big laughs just from that line you don't even see the character and uh but like you said tim like even just a you know like one line of coming in and like just giving some techno babble gobbledygook uh, i mean i don't know how they kept charm like all the stuff that they they had in there, I don't know how they kept a straight face. They must have had to do a thousand takes when they were doing that. Like, like maybe if we take the hydrogen capacitors and bypass the flux distribution chamber of the you know minimum balance indicators, um, that'll enable the you know flux power that we need. You know, like I can't you know, even do it. I can't for us, Tim. You're in. You're in. It just might work. <laughs> yeah. It's just like, that's so crazy. I think it could happen. It's like, just have you tried opening the window? <laughs> <laughs> How was the acting on Enterprise? How was Bacula? Bacula was great. great and everything. I like Bacula. Yeah. He I had like a dog. Bacula. He had a dog on the ship, too. So Darn right. Um, interestingly enough, one of the best characters in Star Trek is Spot. Data's cat. Yeah. Um, yep. What makes that cat special? The relationship between being owned by an android. Um, and I think one of the most endearing things is Data's going off somewhere and doesn't he get Worf to babysit his cat 
in one of the episodes. Yes. Or, yeah. Is it, or is it Jordy? I just remember yeah. him handing Spot to somebody and saying, don't forget to tell him that he's a good cat <laughs> and that he behaves well and that <laughs> and that I will miss him while I am away <laughs> and tell him to not be frightened that I will come back. You know? Glenn knows all about that now. Yeah. Yep. Yep. <laughs> I'm learning so much about cats these past year and a half. <laughs> Let's uh, let's let's uh, switch uh, gears and talk about the Kelvin timeline films. Um, the first one being the Star Trek reboot, uh, where J.J. Abrams gets his hands on the franchise, and they completely reimagine, you know, the the the, the they original. They completely reimagine Spock dying in a whole new way. <laughs> Tim, <laughs> I have always Kel- been your friend. It's a Kelvin timeline, and that's different. <laughs> What's what does that mean, the Kelvin timeline? Someone explain that to me. Well, and the 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 whole point where a new timeline was was created uh, involved uh, a ship called the USS Kelvin, uh, on which James T. Kirk's father and pregnant mother, who's about to give birth to him, are on board, and that ship gets destroyed. They go out of uh, or his mom with him go out a uh, an escape pod so so they they call it the kelvin timeline now um, in a because... scene that is more dramatic than mufasa's death <laughs> lion king no it's just tell tell james i love him <laughs> you know chair shaken and you're just like and it's just like this I, you know I, it's a little much like yeah like to hit me with this right off the bat so were you on board with this uh, idea or when the, with these uh, movies came out or were you like, uh, I, I was on board in the same, like there's a lot of Star Trek that it's Star Trek. So I like it, yeah. you know, I just like it. Um, it's not great, but it's fun. There's very little of Star Trek that I'm like, this is just bad and I don't ever want to watch it again. And none of those movies are that way. I think they're very enjoyable. Um, I just, you know, maybe this is just me getting older. It's just like, I don't need these characters anymore. I would like them. I wish all of those movies had been like, like Rogue One was for Star Wars. Here's a whole slew of people that you've never met in this universe, right? And but now we're going to- in a time period where they can bring in elements they live in the world where they can refer to Kirk or whomever. Right. And but why, why does it have to be Kirk? Why does it have to you know, yeah. The next generation gave us Picard and Data and Worf and, um, and Dr. Crusher and everybody. So yeah. it's like we've introduced new characters. Um, why did it have to be Kirk? Why couldn't it be Captain Hezekiah or, you know, something right you know whatever right. um you know just uh, i feel but i also feel that in this modern age of filmmaking there's so much out there that you have to have that element of nostalgia because it's less of a risk right it's the um, safe bet to right. go with the original and right. if we watch spock die people will love it <laughs> but spock will be your friend before yeah. he dies yet again Ugh. Yeah, I, I would say, yeah, I agree. 
you know, we're, we're talking about four years after Enterprise went off the air. So there was a little time where, where there's, there's no Star Trek. And um, I mean, I, I had my doubts, you know, when it's like, oh, J.J. Abrams. OK, I know he does some good stuff. Maybe he's a big Star Trek fan. And then then he basically turns around and says, yeah, no, I was he's a big Star Wars fan and never liked Star Trek. And I went, OK, well, this could be a problem. Now, you know, he brought his own sensibilities to things, um, including his a goofy idea of having lens flares throughout uh, the show as if our modern day cameras couldn't possibly photograph the reality of, of the future, um, you know, without the lens flares. Um, but I, I had initially called it action Trek because it really was all about kind of adding some more action to it. That, that may have been, you know, unfair to a point because, um, you know, even current streaming series have a lot more action, say, than next gen and, and even the original uh, series. Um, sure. But uh, um, there was a, a certain heart of Star Trek that was missing from at least the first two of, of the Kelvin timeline, uh, Star Trek and Into Darkness. Um, the other thing is, is for both of them, where they just, it was like, why are you recycling concepts that we've seen before done better? Um, right. By the time Beyond came out, and, and I think uh, uh, Simon Pegg uh, took a little control of that, the lot of the heart from the original, you know, from the Star Trek we know and love was re-injected into these characters. Um, and, you know, one of the, uh, one of the things I re I read recently, even, uh, cause I always wondered about it. The, the, the thing that I hate the most about the first, you know, and def definitely the first of the rebooted, uh, uh, films and maybe the second part of partly that, was they really made James T. Kirk out to be a dick? Um, he was, I mean, just a just hateable. And it wasn't a, a recently, and I have to find the article that in screenings with his friends J.J. Abrams, people brought up to him, you know, I, I don't like Kirk here. I hate him. You know, I want him to be beamed into a wall. <laughs> he is not likable at all. And they didn't they didn't change that. And I, I really, you know, I, I really kind of hated that the the way that they changed the character, you know, in that way. But like Tim yeah. says, I mean, I'll watch him. It's fine. But you're right. Like the way he handled the Kobayashi Maru test. Yeah. He was just such a little prick about it. Yeah. It was like I felt like they were trying to to like do the original series some justice with these films. And I do have some respect for that. But, and they did a nice job of trying to do that and blending it with the feel of the original series movies a little bit. Um, but yeah, but Kirk, it just was, everybody else was really likable. And there's no reason other than him being this colossal prick yeah. that you would follow him. Why would you make him your leader? Right. You know, but I mean, you know, we all, you know, people voted for Trump. So, uh, I mean, it happens. <laughs> <laughs> I guess leaders today have to be complete jagoffs or you right. don't follow. Them. Who's the biggest jagoff here? <laughs> Let's make him the captain. You know? We have it's, to do what he says. Yeah. Oh man. Well, before we get thoroughly depressed, 
Uh, <laughs> what about the the streaming series? There's Discovery, which uh, started in 2017. Picard, which debuted last year. Um, are you guys watch those? Um, and what are your thoughts? On- uh, yeah, yeah, I'm I'm watching them. You know the. Um- when Discovery was announced, you know, uh, and again, you know, here's the, here's the name. Nicholas Meyer was originally involved in in the uh, um, in the development of the show. Um, you know, you, they said they said the word that you know that that uh, uh, that I hate, which was prequel, and it was just like, oh, <laughs> oh God, oh God, no, um, why are you doing this? Um, but they had a, a master plan for the for the show, and and um, they did they did a lot of fan service, which was fine. But you know, to Tim's point, it was let's let's create new characters, um, let's get a different ship. And what was kind of neat was the the ship the USS Discovery is based on original sketches for the Enterprise. I think Ralph McQuarrie, um, you know, uh, you know, had of you know, what the enterprise could be. So kind of old sketches. And so they created this new ship. Um, they also decided, well, we're going to, we're going to base the series, not around the captain, but around the first officer. And so that was the change. And <laughs> Oh, by the way, she's a woman, um, you know, and, uh, um, and, and, and she's, you know, she's not white. Um, so it was, you know, completely, uh, um, you know, completely different from anything we've seen. Um, it uh, uh, the first, you know, the the other the, the other thing is, is that this was the first, you know, you could say of, of all the Star Trek series that was created or, you know, the, the storylines were going to be for the entire season. Um, Deep Space Nine got into kind of a long, the long war and they kind of had but it was, it, you know, it's kind of in the age of of streaming and binging. Now, the idea of instead of an episodic Star Trek, let's have one long season. I personally would think it would be better to have one instead of episodic. Why don't you have several four or five part things? And instead of trying to, because it's hit or miss. If the, if the, the story isn't that good, then, you know, then the season's not that good. So what if you, but it's actually, you know, discovery has really grown on me. It's gotten better, um, you know, in each successive season um, after the, uh, at the end of of the first season, you know, spoiler alert, it's it ends up no longer being um, a prequel uh, as the ship is jettisoned into the far flung future. Um, and so now we get to and and Tim had mentioned, you know, I want to see them doing doing other things than just you know flying planet. And and so now we get that we get the strange stuff. Um, so yeah, I. I I highly recommend, you know, Discovery. I think classic Star Trek fans, because it's set also in the classic universe, not the Kelvin timeline. Um, I think classic fans will like it. Um, Picard, uh, Picard was good. It's uh, it's a lot of fan service. It's a lot of, hey, it'd be great if Patrick Stewart had a series. <laughs> and, um, you know, they've got a good storyline. They bring in uh, uh, Jerry Ryan, the Seven of Nine from, uh, from Voyager, um, you know, which is great. And, uh, 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 Hugh, the Borg, the former Borg from the, the next gen, uh, um, is, is in the series as well. Um, you know, it's, it's good. 
Um, you know, it'll, it'll debut a second season next year. I think actually discovery starts up with its new season, I believe at the end of December, end of November here at the end of the month. Um, and then, you know, then because the last season of discovery featured an enterprise that had captain Christopher Pike and Mr. Spock on it, um, they've decided to go ahead and do a whole series with that enterprise. So <laughs> prequel time uh, with uh, a show called Strange New Worlds, which will come um, uh, in 2022 at some point. Um, you know, whatever. It, it's At this point, I'm looking at it like everything is more Star Trek. And if you give me more choices, then I, I don't need to hang my hat on everything. I don't I don't need to hope to like everything. Tim, have you seen uh, either uh, of the of these of Discovery or Picard? Well, it was right after like coming into this conversation or this part of the conversation. It's kind of where I like I was a little trekked out. Um, I still love watching the Next Generation, but I haven't even uh, watched Discovery yet, and it's a little surprising for me to say that because yeah. Michelle Yeoh. Uh, is in that series, and I'm a huge uh, Michelle Yeoh fan from uh, martial arts films uh, back in the 80s all the way through Touching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. She's just fantastic in everything she does. Um, And I believe... Oh, there are other actors I know, I think, that I like in there. Isn't Jason Isaacs part of that? Um, Yeah, yeah. yeah. He's in the first season. He's great in everything. Uh, You'd know him as... um, as a Lucius Malfoy from the Harry Potter, you know him as the bad guy in the Patriot. Um, he, he just always a solid performance. Excellent actor. What? Yeah, indeed. So it it's also like, well, I got involved in doing theater and stuff, so I just you know didn't get around to watching series. And for I don't know why I didn't spend the pandemic kind of catching up on some of these. Um, it it makes sense. I mean, is do you think? And, um, you know, maybe we can make this our last topic. I mean, do you think that the series has played itself out, that there's no new worlds left to explore for? Absolutely not. I think it's, you know, I think people are having a hard time coming up with original ideas. I mean, I'm in a theater company that writes original work, and I think that we're having a little hard time trying to figure out a direction. So that's why they do these origin stories. You know, that's why we bring up Captain Pike, because at least we have a springboard, you know, I think. And I think that that's part of why they would have opened up to the general public. Hey, throw some script ideas. Give us a springboard. Because it's interesting, John, you were throwing your script idea around, right? Yeah. The first part of that was, um, was, um, that they, the, uh, a planet where you, they were killing off people for having like defects like Jordy, right? Right. They kind of did tackle that. Remember the episode with yeah, Dave Rock and Steers where after you got to a certain age, you had fulfilled your purpose and you were expected to commit suicide. Right. Uh, because it's too expensive to take care of the elderly and it, 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 you know, it examined those themes. So what I'm saying is, is that those springboards are out there, you know? Um, so I think that this, the only thing that's going to kill this series is if people stop having ideas for it, you know, and people stop having a passion for it. But I think the possibilities are limitless. They've created a world that you can put the characters anytime and anywhere. 
doing anything you want. That's almost like the lack of constraint is almost maybe one of the limiting factors. There's too much you can do, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I, I totally agree. You know, and, and it's all about the world or the universe that they've created and play around in the in the entire universe instead of always in this little little section. And, you know, yeah. you don't need to continually have Kirk and Spock and McCoy characters. We can go <laughs> off and we could do we could do all, all of the other, you know, characters from other shows and create new characters and and have new ships and 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 new areas of space and new ways of exploring. Um, the the beauty of science fiction is, is that there really should be no limits, you know, to one's imagination on what you can do. Um, stories are rooted in universal truths and um you know any 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 kind of like moral morality type plays um but you know the you know everything else you know go ahead and 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 think of your wildest ideas you know and let's go ahead and do it you know um you know i think uh uh i'm you know oh is it is it played out or i mean um you know how many how many law and orders have there been and csis and 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 the such and and people just just love it um, there's a formula behind it as well. Um, you know, one of the uh, one of the best Star Trek films we did uh, um, we we did not mention. Um, <laughs> that's great. As I as I brought that up and I and I totally blanked on um, you know the film that had uh, um, Tim Allen as the captain and uh, well, Sigourney Weaver. Galaxy yeah, Quest. Galaxy yeah, Galaxy Quest. Yeah, good movie. Galaxy oh. Quest is definitely called like one of the best Star Trek films around. Mm. <laughs> I, I would have to concur with that. Absolutely. Alan Rickman. Oh, yeah. Great. Yeah. Sigourney but, Weaver. That's just one of, best. one of his best. Where does I have I have one last question. And I got I have one after you, after yours. You want to go first, then? Okay. So you have somebody who hasn't seen any Star Trek stuff at all, what would you have them watch first to hook them? Rathacon. Yeah, Star Trek 2. But if that's the best, though, what if, would you want to start with the best or would you want to start with something that's just pretty I good? I might also show them a particular episode of the Next Generation series. Do you have um, a specific I, one and, in mind? I, and I'm not speaking of one like i i would have to like sit down and yeah think about what would be the best introduction you but, know yeah i would say it would it would depend on what that person wants you know like what, what's your threshold how many episodes or you know, how many hours or how many things do you want to watch before you decide this is this is not it you know we can give a, a you know a top top five episodes of you know of a show um, you know, even, you know, Mike had, you know, remembered some of the greatest of, of the shows, you know, of the original series with City on the Edge of Forever, uh, a mock time. You know, there was also the, the episode Mirror Mirror in the original series when they went to the, yeah. the evil universe. And, you know, as you could tell, I'm 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 the evil John Kuchai because I have a goatee. <laughs> yes. I must Is that be the one where Spock had the goatee. Exactly. Yeah. Mirror, mirror. Yeah, mirror, mirror. I think so, called it a Spock Yes. So, you know, so there are, you know, there are, there are those kind of episodes. 
Um, you know, the next generation, there are so many great episodes. Um, you know, I, I wouldn't say like, oh, you know, you, the finale is, is great on its own, but you got to know kind of the rest of the, of the series and everything going on in the series. Um, you know, the best of both worlds, two part episode, which really was, you know, the Borg are pretty much coming for earth. Um, and, and, you know, that had so much good, you know, drama and, you know, that was another one that could have been its own movie. It was better than the, the next gen movies. So, um, you know, I'd put there, you know, that there, and then there's the, you know, the episodes that are, you know, that are great, but they're great science fiction, the inner light, um, you know, where, you know, Picard basically for the whole episode is living the life of another man on an extinct world. Um, and, uh, there's an episode called, uh, uh, Darmok, um, which is kind of an enemy mind type episode, uh, Picard on a planet with an alien. They can't communicate until he figures out that he's speaking, uh, um, he's speaking in, uh, uh folklore. Yeah, exactly. Folklore and similes and stuff. And, uh, um, Oh, what was the, uh, I'm trying to think there was the two parter where, where then the second one Picard was uh, Kardashian prisoner. Yeah, I forget the. I I, th I just call it. There are four lights. There are four <laughs> lights. Yeah. So you know, depending upon you know you know what what your threshold would be and what you want to get into, um, you know, there's also a part of me that you know I've got a I've got a friend or a, a former coworker who never really got into the original, um, all the original series, and then really got into things with the Kelvin timeline, and then like Discovery. And he said, you know, I'd like to go back and watch everything again. Now, he wanted to binge everything. And it turns out, you know, yeah, he he liked the original show, loved Next Generation. Deep Space Nine was was pretty good. He, he liked that more than I did. Voyager was eh, and Enterprise was not very good at all, um, you know, which is, uh, you know, expected. But he wanted to go through and, and, and take a look at all that. So, um, you know, there's enough. Oh, I'm sorry, ahead. Tim. Uh, I'm, I'm speaking too much, but I was going to say there's enough. You can go to a website. You know, what are the top five episodes of Next Gen? Top five of, of Deep Space Nine, whichever. And I've I, in fact, in preparation of the show, I looked at some of those. They're all good. I think it also just depends on the age of the person you're talking to. You know, it, it's something like when I say I look back at the original series and it looks like a light bright. Right. Um, you know, people that were teenagers in the 60s looked at that as like big technology. So I look as, at Wrath of Khan and I don't think of it as having low budget special effects. I know the story behind the, you know, uh, them cutting the budget for that, but I thought it was brilliant. You know, um, somebody who's in their 20s right now is going to be like, yeah, because you're old, you know. <laughs> um, but but that's what's interesting. And that's so where would I start someone? I don't know but I would love to know whatever they watched, what they thought about it. Um, yeah. So in other words, take someone in their twenties, show them the wrath of Khan is what we're saying. True. Is that script good enough that even though the set is going to look like it's cut out of cardboard to them, it's still this really intriguing story that enthralls you just like it did the first time that I saw it, because I don't remember the effects from that movie, I remember being enthralled by the story and the characters and the drama and the action and the comedy. And it was just all there. You know, it's almost like watching The Princess Bride. It's everything. You know? <laughs>
everything you want. In uh, I have one uh, last uh, my own last question. Um, where does Star Trek just rank in terms of all-time science fiction achievements? I mean, is it you know is, is can you think of a lot of you know whether it's movies or books or other series? Can you think a lot a lot of works that rank ahead of Star Trek or um, you know would you say it's middle of the pack up near the top? And what is it about Star Trek that makes it distinctive, makes it unique in the annals of science fiction? Two part question. Wait, what was the first part of the question? <laughs> where does it rank as far as where does it rank as, as far as like works of science fiction? Like, is it right. middle of the pack up near the top? I mean, like top top of the heap. I, I I can't say like I couldn't give it a number. I don't think yeah. um, because I also confuse fantasy with say science fiction. Like, I think the Narnia Chronicles are a little fantasy, little science fiction. You know, kind of meshed up into each other. Yeah, um, more fairy tale than science fiction, but you can't say that there isn't some of it, elements of it in those stories. Um, and I think I've already said why I think it's uh, timeless is it, it's tangible. It's our future. It's that right. We know we know that there is life out there. We just can't get to it. Right. right. This is the show that says this is what it's like when we get to it or at least this is our perceptions. And there's all kinds of amazing things out there. And the universe is endless and it's expansive. And it doesn't take the, the, per, the, the person element out of it. We're still battering, battling prejudice, corruption, greed. The, just because you take money out of the picture, it doesn't fix everything. People I like that like Star Trek goes back and explores like ancient themes ancient literature, you know, the classics, you know, the Greeks and Romans. And all. I think that's And great. all of the other races in the Star Trek universe have their own ancient beliefs and their own ancient histories and their own ancient folklores. So it's just like, you could just keep digging through this for the rest of your life. And the next, and the next whole thing to discover is just the next planet away. You know, that's that's a pretty lovely thought. And that's why it'll never go anywhere. Yeah, I don't I don't know about ranking, you know, because because in my mind, it, it's it's tough because every sci fi franchise or movie or which everything is different and and there's a different aim. You know, you know, you could look at, you know, there's so many things that are that come from from certain things. You know, Star Trek was originally pitched and you could see it it's wagon train from the star of in the stars. It's it's a western in space. Um okay, fine. You know, and then then it kind of diverged and it and it built on its own, but you know, it's like, you know, uh, uh Star Wars is uh, uh is a samurai film, right? Um you know, or you know, something like that. Um right. And and so, you know, every everything has got its own, um, uh, you know, reason why this is so great. Um, Star Trek, it was always about, um, you know, the characters, the interaction and and really the writing and the story. There was a meaning behind everything. Um, I can think of other sci fi shows in the 80s and 90s that came and went 
And and I, I can't think of episodes that that they did because nothing touched me. You know, right. nothing, nothing really connected. Like Tim says, this is our future. This is our people. It's not a galaxy far, far away, although that's fine. Um, right. It's oh, this is Earth in the future. Um, OK, well, let, let's see what what they're doing here in this sandbox. So, um, you know, the other thing you consider about the series is is what it's what is it's begot, I guess you could say, you know, um, the the first space shuttle created was named enterprise you had you have current astronauts and people at nasa who only got into that because of star trek they saw right. the show and and their minds just were blown um you know uh lens flip phone is very much like uh the communicators <laughs> of the original uh star trek series uh, almost uh, exactly maybe i'll watch it now <laughs> so you know if it, you know that and other technology that was it was kind of envisioned for the show that have, have actually come, you know, come to pass. Um, so, you know, it's, it's, it's groundbreaking and relevant. So it's, it's always going to be, I feel definitely kind of in, you know, in the top, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, pantheon of, of start of sci-fi shows. I want to, uh, anything else that I've forgotten that you want to cover off on before we wrap up this awesome podcast episode this was great i'm good yeah uh, <laughs> just thanks for having me here and uh thanks for having both of us here and thanks for doing this um we needed your expertise because we were very lacking so we were happy you two were able to do it hey i'll uh -huh. help you jag bags out anytime <laughs> well, i figured i figured you were just desperate for guests by the time you got to us so i have <laughs> grown weary of me don't tell him yeah, I'm right here, Len. I, I need a buffer. <laughs> well, thanks very much for joining us, uh, and to and thanks everyone for tuning in. If you like what you hear for Jag Bags, please tell a friend or five. Please follow us on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram. Please subscribe to our podcast. We're on most respectable podcast channels and some others of ill repute as well and uh also uh if you like what you hear please write a review of us and make it hashtag jagbags. uh we want to thank our guests once again tim amos and john kuchai for joining us thanks again and thanks for listening when you're ready to listen put a little jag bags in your ear <laughs>